I'm coming to your cities. I recently did an event in New York. It was awesome. I loved bringing real couples up on stage. We had no idea what was going to happen. The crowd loved it. I was sharing real numbers. It was a blast. And I want to do it again. I'm looking to coach couples on stage at my next two live events, one in Philly on June 1st, one in Boston on June 4th. If you and your partner want help connecting over money, you want to solve a big financial challenge you have, please apply at iwt.com slash live coaching. If you and your partner struggle to come up with a shared vision of your rich life, if you have different priorities about spending and saving, if you just can't get on the same page financially, I would love to coach you live on stage in your city. It is free of charge. You can apply at iwt.com slash live coaching. I'll see you in Boston and Philly. Recently, I had an event in New York City. I had hundreds of people come and I brought actual real couples up on stage and did a mini podcast right there in front of everyone. It was awesome. And I'm very pleased to announce that I'm doing two more events. I want to let you know about it before anyone else knows. June 1st, I'm going to be in Philadelphia. June 4th in Boston. If you want tickets, you can get them at iwt.com slash philly and iwt.com slash boston. Between now and May 3rd, you can use the pre-sale code RICHLIFE to get tickets. Again, June 1st, I'll see you in Philly and June 4th in Boston, iwt.com slash philly and iwt.com slash boston. Welcome to this very special episode of the podcast. Now, normally, I get the chance to talk to couples in committed relationships about money. But there are a lot of aspects that I haven't been able to tap into. And I've been reading your questions and your comments. And I want to talk about money and dating. Like, how do you handle money if you just met? Or what if you've been dating for three months and your partner invites you to Tahiti, but you can't afford it? How do you navigate that situation What do you say? And how do you handle the emotions that naturally come up when you're first starting to talk about money? Well, what I wanted to do today is to bring on my friend, Matthew Hussey. I happen to think he's one of the best minds on relationships out there. And on a professional level, my team, we really admire the work that he does. There are a very, very small number of people who we admire in the self-development world. And Matt is on that list. Personally, he and I are good friends. He came to my 40th birthday party. So to just get to sit down and talk to him for hours was a blast. And I think you're going to hear that in today's episode. By the way, he and I recorded two episodes. One is this episode that you're listening to right now or watching on YouTube. And another is an episode that I recorded for his podcast, Love Life with Matthew Hussey, where we covered all kinds of other material. So I would encourage you to check out his podcast, check him out on Instagram at the Matthew Hussey, and you can find his programs at howtogettheguy.com. Now, on today's episode, we talk about money in dating and relationships. We also cover things like, why is it so hard for men to connect with their feelings? What are some of the common money questions that Matt hears from his clients who are primarily women? And I'll also share some things that I've never shared, like what would be an instant relationship deal breaker for me. Now, I joked with Matt (laughs) that it's just two bros talking about gender issues, but I want to acknowledge that this can be sensitive material. And he and I always try to be as respectful and thoughtful about different perspectives as we can be. And I hope you hear that in our conversation today. So feel free to listen or to watch this on YouTube. I can tell you that I had a blast talking to Matt. So here we go. 
Okay, Matt, there's this famous video of you that's gone viral like 10,000 times. And every time I see it going viral, I go, God damn this guy. How did he get this video to spread so much? You know the one I'm talking about, right? Who should pay on a date. Yes. I want to walk through what happened on that video. I want to know the behind the scenes. So there you are on stage. How many people were in that audience? Uh, there must have been about, I want to say, two or 300. Okay. And yeah. is it primarily women? Mostly, yeah. Okay. Almost all. So you're on stage, you're doing your thing, and you have a Q&A portion, and this question gets asked. Do you remember how she asked the question? Yeah, she said... During the dating period, you know, after like four or five months of dating, um, I'm just wondering at what point does it get, do you have to pay, did the woman have to pay when they go out? The guy is asking that I should, there should be half and half at that point when you already... Uh, at what point? When you already been dating for four or five months. How do I get him to go back to paying for everything? <laughs> Was essentially the question. <laughs> okay, when you heard it, before you started to answer, there's always that moment where you're like, how am I going to answer this? What went through your head? Well, the thing is, I thought she was going to go in a different direction with the question itself. I almost thought she was going to say, you know, it's, he's been paying for everything for a while now, but I want to start contributing because it would make me more comfortable. And it just went completely the opposite way. It went a shocking way to me because I didn't know how to... It, it really was like a slightly haunting question because it was like, are you really asking me that? Especially in front of an audience. There was no shame about that. It was just, how do I get him to keep paying for everything? Yes. So then... I waited to see the audience's reaction. Mm. Do you remember what it was? I remember the audience was quiet. And I sort of laughed before I even answered because I remember thinking, I'd need to bite my tongue a little bit here because I could tell immediately, oh, I'm... Like the question itself, I was so uh, incredulous that that was the question that I, there was some part of me that was like, this is insane. Why would there be this expectation? Mm -hmm. And then that was probably why it was funny because I recently did um, Red Table Talk mm -hmm. with Jada Pinkett Smith. And they said for the promos, they wanted to use the video from Who Pays on a Date which is hilarious yeah. that we're bringing it up because <sighs> it's like fucking video people keep me. going back to that video. <laughs> And I watched the video again because they were like, we need you to sign a release to let us use this video in the promo. And I watched it again and I, I sort of cringed and laughed at myself because I was like, why am I so angry? <laughs> like I was, it was like, I would never answer a question in that much of an angry fashion these days. But I think that there was a part of me that was like almost affronted personally that, you know, why is it our job to just, why is there this expectation that, it's one thing to say on a first date, I expect the guy to pay, mm -hmm. right? I'm, I have my own issue, you know, theories on that. But, but that's to me a whole different thing than three months in. Yeah, he's been paying for everything, and your question to me is not how do we even it up a little bit. The question is, he's now asked me to start contributing, and and this seems wildly in, inappropriate. <laughs> So I, I kind of, I let the audience have it a little bit on that one. I love that you did it. 
So I remember watching this. You know, I told you I've watched it like hundreds of times <laughs> because it was a masterful answer to a question that, as you said, was surprising. But also the audience was not really on your side. Mm. Not at the end. Not at the, They were not on your side. And I thought you handled it really well. You told the truth. It would have been really easy to say something that would have been crowd-pleasing. But... I thought you were very honest about it. And I think that in money and love topics, there's a lot of material that is beneath the surface. It's not written anywhere, but is nonetheless real. And it's very easy to all sing kumbaya and say like, why don't we just like figure out a way that works for us? Okay, fair enough. But when you talk to couples and you talk to people, you realize there's some real questions and ways that we need to navigate. It's not always easy. So I, I love the video. I've made fun of you for your dirty shirt in that video, the stained shirt. Which I have explained was I didn't go to my tour event yeah. in front of an audience of hundreds in LA with, with a stained shirt. A disgusting stained shirt. I'm like, people hug me before the event and I got many faces of makeup imprinted yeah. onto my white t-shirt. You tried to make us feel sorry. Hundreds of people hug me to show their affection and that's why my shirt looks so ratty on this viral video. I was like, am I supposed to feel sorry right now? If a video is going to go viral, you'd rather it be a video of you in a nice clean shirt. It's like going viral. Like, well, my equivalent would be me having a unibrow, right? It's like, <laughs> I really don't need to be filmed on that day. You know, can we just like, yeah. give me till Tuesday. Yeah, that's yeah. the, that's the, the unibrow day. is that you don't go to your event. Your audience isn't capable of giving you a unibrow right before you go on stage. <laughs> Okay, you got me there. Damn, you are good. All right, well, this is why I, I get to ask you the questions today. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. All right, so you speak to many, many of your clients. They're almost all women. And what I love is the topics are visceral. They're real. They're about dating. They're about attraction. And naturally, at some points, money comes up. So what I want to do is I want to get your perspective on how money plays a part in dating and attraction and relationships. You see some of the similar things I see, but you see them through a totally different lens. Mm. And your audience is different. And I love that. It's like we're so much complementarity here. So I have a few questions for you. Who knows where the conversation takes us? First off, what are the most common questions that you get from your clients as it relates to money and relationships? I suppose there's those early questions of, you know, who should pay. There's the insecurity or fear going into a situation that whatever, you know, my emotional money baggage is, is going to create problems for me in dating. Anytime we go to a date, we're buying and selling at the same time, right? It's an interesting... Meaning what? We are deciding whether we want a person, but we're also simultaneously trying to be someone they want. Mm, yes. <laughs> and so there, there's this simultaneous thing of I'm trying to, on some level, be impressive and attractive. And that's the leverage. I'm trying to create leverage. And at the same time, I'm trying to see if I actually want what they have to offer. Uh, the reason I say create leverage is because if, if you get, you know, after a date, there's no point discussing how right for you someone is or isn't if they're not asking you on a second date, ah, right? right. The, the, the leverage is, do they actually want to continue seeing you? What about when people say to you, 
why do we need all this artifice? Why don't we just be ourselves? Well, I we should absolutely be ourselves, assuming we have a clear sense of what that means and who that person is. I mean, a lot of us have... Being yourself is an interesting concept because it's a bit of a moving target, isn't it? We're always in discovery mode with ourselves at the same time as looking in the rearview mirror and saying, who have I, who have I been until now? I yeah. once asked my mum, how do you know who you are? And she said, well, I know who I am because of what I've done and what I'm comfortable with. I said, that's a pretty good definition, yeah. right? We look in the rearview mirror to see who we've been so far. And now what we associate with ourselves is really... Uh, in huge part down to the way we've been living, what we've been doing, what we perceive to be within our comfort zone. Mm. Uh, and so it it's not always a good predictor of who we will be in five years or who we will be in 10 years based on how we expand our comfort zone. And, you know, I do things today that I never knew I would enjoy until I did them. Yeah. In, in the same way that there are foods we like that we never knew they were our favorite food until we tried them. So who we are is an evolving thing. Be yourself... If we're not careful, be yourself rather than being a mandate to step into your own skin confidently and be, you know, true to yourself, it it can end up being a kind of excuse for not developing or growing or doing whatever is the path of least resistance for you. I agree. It's if somebody asked me, who are you to me? I don't even know if today I would have a good answer. Mm. I might naturally resort to I'm a husband. I'm a son, et cetera. I'm a teacher. I might say, I like travel. So now I'm getting into my likes. But when we say be ourselves, it's not really clear what part of myself means. I might say, I'm, I'm generous. But how does that show up on a date? Mm. And so, uh, yeah, it's interesting, this be ourselves concept, which is simplistic, maybe. It's, hard. it's a sort of hard thing to latch onto. I mean, I suppose people like Eckhart Tolle and people who spend their lives talking about mindfulness and the self being an illusion anyway, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it starts to get really kind yeah, of meaningless meta. when you get to that level because you go, well, all of these things that I've decided I am are just constructs anyway. They're just an ego that I've created. I am, as they say, the the observer. I'm not, I'm not the thing that I think I am. That's not me. And identifying with self people who are experts in that world will say is the problem. If you ever follow me on Instagram, sometimes you'll see me post about my behind the scenes travel experiences, coffee tours, salsa making classes in Mexico, all kinds of culinary stuff in India. And I'll get a lot of people saying, where do I find that Kyoto notepad maker that you found? And one place you can find that is Viator. In fact, my wife and I use Viator to book a Segway tour where we took a tour of a new city and we had an amazing experience, something we never would have thought of doing on our own. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. And with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everybody. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real travel reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best travel activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. I get tons of email every single day, and I want to give you a behind-the-scenes look 
at how I manage emails from my team, from my family, and from you. I use a piece of software called Superhuman, and this is an email software that I actually pay for out of my own pocket. It works with your existing email service like Gmail or Outlook. And let me share how it saves me over 10 hours a week. So here are a few things I love about it. First off, it splits my inbox into different streams. So my important emails come into one place. It's not cluttered with a bunch of subscriptions everywhere. Next, I use keyboard shortcuts. Unlike you barbarians who literally click and peck through every single email. U to market unread, S to star at J or K to cycle through messages. I use keystrokes to schedule messages, like when I want to ask one of my coworkers a question, but I don't want to send them an email on a Saturday. Now, I can work through dozens of emails in minutes using this. And Superhuman just introduced an AI feature, which allows you to take a huge email with all these people chiming in and automatically summarize what's going on in a few bullet points. It'll even draft emails for you. So if you want to buy back your time, Superhuman is a no-brainer to me. It's something I spend my own money on, and I love it. Right now, all IWT listeners will get a free month of Superhuman. You can get started at superhuman.com slash Ramit. That's superhuman.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. So when your clients ask you questions about money, it starts off with, you know, um... who pays for the first day? It's a very visceral yeah. moment. What else? Uh, what are the most common ones? Um, it might be I, you know, I, I deal with a lot of women who make more money than the men they date. So Perfect. it might be how do I deal with a guy making less money than me and the insecurity yeah. that can come with that, or the, the the emasculation that can come with that. Very loaded, vivid words. That's what I really enjoy about this topic because the word insecurity and um, empowerment and he doesn't feel masculine. That's real. That, that's very, very vivid. Okay. What are the most surprising questions you get? The questions where you go, wow, I would have never asked that one. You know, I always struggled a bit with how much the, the people that come to me talk about being intimidating. Because I... And, and, and I want to preface this by saying that there are many, 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 many women. It is, there is a genuine problem with strong women intimidating men. There is a real problem with Agreed. that. So I don't, want to, I don't want to gloss over that. It's a real thing. And there are plenty of men out there who have no concept of how to deal with a woman who does not need them in what they perceive to be the traditional Ways. You know what my friends used to do? My friends from Stanford, they would tell me when they would go out to bars, people would ask them, oh, where do you go to college or where did you graduate from? And they stopped saying that they went to Stanford because the minute they said it, the guy would walk away. I was like, what? So interesting. Then when some of them became doctors, they were in medical school, when they would talk about being in medical school or being doctors, same exact thing happened. I don't think a lot of guys realize that. And I think probably every woman listening goes, Duh, that has happened forever. Yeah. So it's really good to share that side of things that many guys don't realize is actually happening. Okay, so it's intimidation. A real thing. So that, that intimidation factor is a real thing. But I, I would always be trying to juggle that with what I saw as the other side of the argument, which is that saying I intimidate everybody 
can be a bit of a cop-out. Why? There are plenty of successful people in life. And anyone who is in a position of power or success or has money has the potential to intimidate a lot of people Mm. or to make them feel uncomfortable. And yet we all know people who are in those positions who don't make other people feel that way. What do they make them feel instead? Interesting, uh, impressive, um, equal. Love it. You always have to ask yourself, what are the weapons I've gotten really comfortable using? Like what? Well, for some people, it's looks. Mm. For other people, it's the amount of money they have. Mine is my wit on Twitter when I crush these trolls who have no chance of intellectual parody. I go, why you bother? Just come to me after you studied for the next 25 years and you know how to try to troll on Twitter. You have no chance of winning this game. Me, you think that that counts? For me and Rami, that we always have this in joke that you, I want you to have a special account, like a Matthew Hussey endorsed account where you, I basically hire you to deal with our trolls. No, no, you don't have to hire me. I'll do it for free. You don't understand. I love it. You know, like, you know, like, what is it? Where's the phrase from? Like, like the Bourne movies? They say, send in the asset. <laughs> like, I like the idea that you're the asset. And we just, I don't, any, I don't need to worry about any of the ridiculous comments. Yeah. I just send you in. Yeah. And, and you just handle it. And but then, not even as me. You handle it as remote. <laughs> I go, thank you for your email to Matthew Hussey. I'm Ramit Sethi, and I'll be addressing your complaints from now on. And we have three things we need to discuss right away. First of all, who made you think it was okay to send this email? Right, but that's, that's how already, I begin. already my favorite line <laughs> is, we have three things we need to discuss right away. It's already the greatest way to start that email. It just comes so naturally. We have three things we need to discuss right away. That doesn't sound tweet length. <laughs> and, and then the next time you see me, you're like, oh, what's been going on? And I just pull out 300 pages of emails that I've been sending yeah. back and forth to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Everyone says, wait, wait, wait. Everyone, I'll teach you to be rich, says, what's happened to our CEO? This is our... This well, is he's, a- he's handling some important matters <laughs> over wait. at Matthew Hussey's company. Okay, so I told you my idea for your business. Do you oh. remember what I told you and Audrey to do no. to start a business? I said, if I sounded like you two, I would literally start a competitor to Headspace where I would just talk and I would use my fucking British accent and I would just say random words. I would say, you are beautiful. Can you say that into the mic, please? You are beautiful. All right, throw that on a loop. I'm going to charge $4.99 a month for it. And I actually have, I did a little preparation for this um, (laughs) because I would like for you to read a few things off the screen, okay? Again, I think that you could come up with a very large business of just talking and I put those headphones on and listen to the two of you okay. and go to sleep every night. All right. We'll call it, I will teach you to be British. There's, there's a, a little something I found on the internet, which I was very excited for our conversation today. It's a meme. And the meme goes, British people having sex be like, and then they have a few words I would like for you to read off the screen. Just tell me if this is accurate. Just right. read them slowly okay. into the mic. Let's see how accurate this is. Oh, these are, t- these are unbelievable. Let's hear it, please. So we've got, oh, heavens. <laughs> keep going, keep going. 
I mean, that's like, if, uh, there's, that's unbelievable. Scrumptious. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Hmm, yes. Splendid. <laughs> this is, this is a great one. I'm arriving. Three exp- exclamation marks on that one. Okay. I'm arriving. Uh, this one's interesting. I feel like this is more of an in- You have to know British accents for this one. But this one is, it's Tuesday, isn't it? <laughs> and Tuesday, Tuesday is spelt with chew. C-H-E-W in it. I-N-N-I-T. It's Tuesday, isn't it? That's, that's like a pro- that's like in British. Because you can't even, you, people, Americans don't know what in it means. Right? And, it, and it means like, isn't it? Yes. So you go, it's Tuesday, isn't it? So out of all of those, what's, is that all of them? Did we miss I would it? say probably the one that's closest to me mm-hmm. is, is Tuesday, isn't it? <laughs> because that's, that's more where I'm from in the UK is we're, we're all from the east of London, right. my family. So we're all the, the Cockneys, the chimney sweeps on Mary Poppins <laughs> represented us famously. And also I realized a lot of villains are, they have Cockney accents. Oh yeah. If they ever want to make someone seem grubby and <laughs> conniving and sort of dark and evil. They give him a cockney, cockney accent. So thank you for Tuesday, giving me the audio. And uh, just to finish this whole you know thing off, we actually have the privilege of having your fiance here in the room. Audrey, can you confirm that Matt has indeed said in a British accent, I'm arriving. I think uh, I think we all know too, the context. That's too upper class for me. Right. She knows. She's much more posh than I am. Okay. She's, I agree. I agree she has that. absolutely, she is slumming it with me. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm, she's mm-hmm. from part of England where they talk with a much uh, more... Yeah, they talk nice. Talk proper, didn't they? By the way, every, every American's like, what are you talking about? There's different British accents? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Audrey, so if you hear Audrey's accent, she's much more sort of upper middle class. Uh-huh. I sound like uh, sort of, the, well, the chimney sweep from Mary Poppins. <laughs> so she's, uh, yeah, I thought, I remember when we first got together, I thought like this is posher than anyone I would have expected myself to Do be. Do you think that the company of the two of you speaking both affirmations as well as X-rated comments. Do you think it would be worth fifty million or five hundred million dollars? Well, I leave that your business valuations. I I leave firmly in your corner. Okay, okay. But I have thought we should do some sort of like bedtime reading for people, just like a bedtime story. Bedtime reading for like PG rated, and then perhaps bedtime reading for the more British X-rated thing. I assume that would be the sort of upsell. Yeah. Would, there would be. Yeah, exactly. There'd be a, a freemium model. <clears throat> I'll take ten percent. Come in on Harry Potter level sort of, <laughs> you know, innocence, and we uh, we finish on some sort of dark, sordid uh, Cockney porn. In- <laughs> <laughs> All right, love it. Uh, gosh, I feel like I accomplished everything I wanted to with this. Yeah, we could interview. call it there. This is, wow. We're I'm not going to top that. I'm stunned. You took it in a direction even I didn't anticipate. Thank you. <laughs> Let's talk some scenarios. <laughs> uh, okay, you're going on vacation with your partner you've been dating for six months. And 
Your partner says, I would really like to go to Tahiti. You can't comfortably afford it. Mm. How should you have that conversation? You say, that sounds like the greatest thing ever. And, oh my God, that would be an absolute dream. But I'm not in a position to be able to have a trip like that, you know, financially. I, I, you know, which makes me a little bit, you know, whatever. Insert authentic emotion there. I don't want to be the one letting the team down on something that you really want to do. And of course, something that would be awesome. But that's hard, That's really hard for me. What do you, what do you suggest? Mm. And they can say, what? because what you need to know is you almost need to establish terms first. And the terms are, I can't come into this as, a, as an equal partner. Mm. <laughs> I, like financially, I can't come into that trip as an equal partner. And if that means that it's off the table, then that's important for you to know. Yeah. Like I could never afford my half. You can even be more specific. Like I could never afford my half of that trip. Mm-hmm. And then you see what they say, because they may say, oh, that's a shame. Okay, well, no worries. Or they may say, I'm really mad because I really want to do that trip, but I want you to be able to do it too, but you can't. So, wow, that's annoying. And you say, well, you know, there's lots of things we can do that we can both contribute to and something I can do. Mm -hmm. Um, I would hope that kind of a trip to Tahiti isn't the only way we can have fun. Yeah. So then you're showing your versatility that you can do other things. Now, they may say, well, um, it's okay. I don't need you to pay. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to do it as my treat. Now, you have two ways that you can respond to that. You can either say, thank you very much. Oh, my God, that's wonderful. I never would have expected you to, you to do that. But if you feel comfortable with it, I don't want to get in the way of a really fun trip for the two of us. And if you genuinely are comfortable with that, then I'll do my best to enjoy it without worrying that I'm not able to contribute. My preferred option, which I think is the best one, objectively, is to say, that's unbelievably kind and generous. And I feel really fortunate that that you treat things that way but I want to be able to contribute what I can. And it is not going to be a lot in the context of the trip, but it will be a significant amount to me. I love that. And therefore, I'd like to get X. You can even kind of compartmentalize what you're going to get. I want to get, you know, the... The airfare, the Thursday night dinner, exactly. whatever it may be. Like make it something that's, instead of it's just, you know, a monetary value, which yeah. you can do. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's kind of nice sometimes to, to be like connected to the, the Yeah, trip. let me let me get the flight. Yeah, or I let me that. get this. And or let me at least buy my own flight. I can't afford the hotel, but let me at least get my own flight. And when you say that's your favorite, why is it your favorite? Because it goes back to something that I know you believe in too, which is that you, you, look, I'll tell you a story. I was in New York once and there was a night out in my mid-20s where Everyone got a table that apparently no one could afford mm-hmm. apart from this one guy. And by the time the end of the night came, and I was kind of a tag along on this evening, it wasn't my friendship group. So I felt a bit 
uncomfortable anyway, because I was kind of like, oh, I don't want to be that person at the table in the club who's, you know, just the freeloader. I, that makes me deeply uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. The bill came and everyone deserted. And this was like a $3,000 bill for a table in New York. And all the people that had been there enjoying it all the whole time, out of embarrassment, out of awkwardness, out of fear that they would somehow be roped into being in and in over their head, they kind of just deserted. And this person was left with this three grand bill. As it happens, the next night I was at dinner with that guy mm. who paid the bill and a couple of other people. And I had left a little earlier and I went the, the night before and I went up to him and I, I'd heard that he'd paid the whole bill. I went up to him and I said, um, listen, here's $300. I wish I could do more, but I can't. But I wanted to at least do something. Yeah. And it was never something that he would have expected. But he turned around and he said, that is really, really nice. He said, my own friends didn't, yeah. didn't even throw their card in. You don't even know me and you've decided to do something like that is a really, like I'm really touched. Speaks to the character, your character. And three grand, $300 off a three grand bill didn't make a lot of difference to him. But the gesture really did. But the fact that his own, his actual friends didn't help. And I was just the guy that felt like that was not appropriate for us just because we couldn't spend that much money. Mm Mm-hmm it wasn't appropriate for us to not do anything. And there is lots of situations in life where when someone has money, there is an, a natural awkwardness and an embarrassment a lot of the time among other people in the room. And they don't know how to deal with it and how to handle it. And I chose long ago that my approach would be to and by the way, when people are embarrassed or when they're awkward in a situation like that, even their gratitude tends to go out of the window. Mm. It's a kind of an interesting thing because to come up to you and say, like that night, to come up to that guy and say, thank you so much, is to acknowledge you haven't paid anything. Yeah. Yes. But to just disappear is to sort of cover your eyes and ears and just go, oh, someone's got it. Mm-hmm. You really know that someone had to pick up that whole tab, but you're just like, oh, what happened? We were all on a night out. I don't know what happened. To say thank you is to acknowledge that someone has done something. So I, what I've noticed in a lot of situations like that is people don't even really say thank you because they're embarrassed. Yeah, I made a decision long ago that I would either genuinely and face-to-face acknowledge someone and say thank you mm-hmm. and make sure they knew that I knew that they had done something, even if it was easy for them. Yeah. A friend of mine said to me once, a friend of mine who was much more successful than me, older gentleman, he once said to me, two things are uh, always true when it comes to money. He said, and he was talking about when you have money. He said, everyone thinks you have more than you actually do. (laughs) Okay. And everyone thinks you won't miss your money as much as they'll miss theirs. That's interesting. And so, you know, I always made a decision that I wouldn't ever 
just disrespect the fact that it might be easier for someone. Because the person that can still go up and say thank you or say thank you and here is what I can do. I know it's nothing, but it would mean a lot to me to be able to contribute something. That's the person you want to keep giving to. Totally. In your Tahiti answer, the thing that stood out to me, which you did so naturally, but I don't think it would come as naturally to many people, was your first part of your answer was, gosh, thank you. That sounds amazing. Mm. I would absolutely love to be able to go on a trip like that. And then Mm. you got into the rest. That part, you just rolled over it because it came so naturally to you. But there's something very powerful about taking a second, slowing it down, and expressing your gratitude. This partner of yours just invited you on a trip. That means they've been thinking about it. They've planned it. They want you to come along. The money part of it, of course, you need to address that. Mm. But the feeling that your partner wants you to be a part of this international trip, incredible. I find that when it comes to money, we are so nervous, this frenzied, harried energy that we immediately jump to things like, well, I could never afford that. And I just love how you slowed it down and you started from a place mm. of gratitude. Very powerful. Thank you. and and. You should never also be afraid to show someone that you don't need to do something like that. That that would be amazing. But by the way, if you wanted to, you know, because I know that's a lot of money, we could always take a trip, you know, two hours away on a flight and go somewhere and still go and have an amazing vacation, but yeah. do something different. Like, I trust me, you know, Tahiti, my God, that would be incredible. But, you know, I, I also, if it's too much… Yeah. We could go here and do this. Now, they, they can still come back to you and say, oh my God, no, I will want to do this. I've yeah. been wanting to go there for ages. You're the person I want to go with. Let's do it. But just saying something <sighs> like that is a beautiful thing. I agree. It shows someone else that you're a team player. Yeah. You're watching. It's almost like you're watching their wallet for them. Mm. You're not even asking me to, but there's a part of me that, that I'm a team player and I, I want to support you. And when someone hears that, it's... It's a very powerful thing because you go, whoa, they're, they're looking out for they're me. They're with well. me. They're yeah. with And life is going to present a million opportunities where there's going to be some price disparity or something where one person says, ooh, I want to do that. And the other goes, uh, I don't think it's valuable enough or I don't have enough money, et cetera. To be that versatile and to remember that the point is not Tahiti. The point is for the two of you to create an adventure together. That is powerful. Yeah. I had to be reminded of that. I tried to plan a trip for my family. It was a very exotic trip. I think I told you about this. And it was a little too much, I learned. I was like, guys, it's so cool. I'll do all the travel planning. And then, you know, we talked about the travel and the budget and all kinds of stuff. And even though the money part of it, I would have been more than happy to assist with, it was a little bit too much too soon. And I was really down about it because I had planned and I had prepared, I presented a PowerPoint and I just got blown out. You know, everyone was like, no. And I was telling a friend about it and she said, well, you have a couple of options. You can be resentful or despondent, or you can remember that the point of your trip was to have a family reunion. 
And it could be there, but it could just as well be in other places. And sometimes I think when, when we talk about trips or even relationships, we have a vision in our mind of what we thought it would be. And when life throws us a curveball, it's really hard to grapple with that. Like I was fixated on this place. In fact, this hotel, this lodge, this, that. And my friend, very savvy in her right, had to focus me on reconnecting with what's the actual purpose of this? Is it the glitzy stuff? That would be nice, but it's really about finding some quality time. That's exactly right. And you want to be someone who helps people connect to those truths. Like be the person that helps someone else connect to those truths. When you're that person, they realize that they get better with you. They Yeah, it's inspiring. It's inspiring and you realize, you know, oh, this is what it's about. I have a friend of mine who's always cold. She told me she and her partner have totally different temperatures when they sleep. She goes to bed in a flannel pajama. She's got extra blankets. Her partner's running hot. So now she recently started testing the pod cover from 8sleep, one of our sponsors. Before she goes to sleep, she gets on the app, cranks up the heat, and when she gets into bed at night, it's already warm and waiting for her. The pod cover by 8sleep fits on your bed like a fitted sheet, and it collects information. It has sensors. The pod then uses that information to understand what you need to get better sleep. You can set it to heat up or cool down before you get into bed. It also adjusts while you sleep. And you can set it to change temperatures to gently wake you up in the morning. Best part, there are two zones. So if you run hot and your partner runs cold, you can each set your side of the bed to exactly how you want it. Improve the way you sleep by using my link at 8sleep.com slash for $200 off plus free shipping on their high-tech Pod 3 cover. That's 8sleep.com slash E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T, for a better, smarter sleep. A few years ago, I was at a tea tasting in New York with one of my buddies. I thought it was going to be a normal tea tasting. Suddenly, six people from Japan come in. They pour basically three thimblefuls of tea and we taste it. I've never tasted anything like that. And they tell us if we were to buy that, just the three thimblefuls, it would be $75. Now, drop for drop, that's the most expensive thing I've ever had to drink. Not all of us have the time or the money to buy that specific tea from that specific mountainside in Japan. But what if you could capture that feeling of the care and the love, even the way that they served it to us? What if you could bring that to your home every morning? Well, I want to introduce you to one of our newest sponsors, Peak Tea. What makes Peak Tea special is that the tea is cold extracted using only wild harvested leaves from 250-year-old tea leaves. That makes the tea rich in minerals and other beneficial compounds. Now, the greatest part is that peak tea is zero prep. There's no tea bag that you have to steep for the perfect amount of time. Peak dissolves in cold or hot water in seconds. It's already pre-measured, it's perfectly brewed, and it's perfect to take if you travel. My team's been trying peak tea and they especially love the Pu'er green teas. For a limited time, get up to 15% off and a free quiver with 12 tea samples with my link, peaklife.com slash Ramit. That's P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E dot com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. 
Okay. When, <laughs> when I was thinking about some of the questions that your readers sent you, and I listened to some of the questions that they ask on video too, there's one that really stands out to me and I want to get your take on it. This question about how do you have money conversations in early dating stages without coming across as rude or aggressive? And as a guy, I thought to myself, that's an interesting question because I'm not particularly worried about coming off as rude. Well, I, I should be. I can, I can be aggressive. But it would never occur to me, oh, I need to not be intimidating or rude or aggressive. So I asked my wife. I said, what do you think is behind this question? She, was, she just looked at me and rolled her eyes. And, and yeah, okay, I can see it in your eyes too that you know I didn't know. She goes, time might be an important component. Women often don't want to waste time if they are dating. Makes a lot of sense. Women might not want to scare him away. And I said, keep going. I was asking her like, what else, what else? And she said, you know, sometimes women aren't used to saying what they want and being rewarded for it. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, think about how we're raised and socialized. You know, be polite, don't speak too loudly, etc. So suddenly that question took on a whole new salience for me. Hmm. The idea of how do I talk about money without being rude or intimidating or aggressive? Have you gotten that question? And what is your take on what that question really means? Well, firstly, you could take out the money Part, you could just leave that space blank and and take that exact question and ask it a thousand different ways for women, which is uh, you know how do I ask for a promotion without seeming rude and aggressive? How do I talk about the fact that I want a relationship without seeming over the top and aggressive? How do I like? There's so many things that if the women have as a fear of asking that men don't. Men are boldness. And even then, look at the language shift. I immediately shifted it to boldness when it was men. Yeah. Right? I, you, you, there's a, this natural kind of, well, if it's a guy doing it, then it's bold. It's, you know, right. I assertive. Never, I never it's, worried about being bitchy. Let's put it that way. No, Ever. You, you just, you, you actually see it as a quality that you admire in yourself is your ability to be no nonsense yeah, and ask for what you want. And it's, it's very often the moment it becomes a female question, it gets accused of being all sorts of other things. Yeah. Difficult, high maintenance, crazy, totally over the top, aggressive, bitchy. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's all, all number of words that are designed to bring women back to a place of, acquiescence yeah. and being passive and just going with the flow. And, you know, men to a large extent in dating, not every guy, but there's a lot of men who rely on that. They, they rely on that passive state because that passive state is actually how they get what they want. If I can convince you that you're being too aggressive or, or moving too quickly or, you know, asking for too much, then you might let me have my cake and eat it for longer. Yeah. I, what I want to do is keep seeing you with minimal cost to me and for it to be as easy as possible and for it to be on my terms. And the moment you start asking for things, <laughs> you make my life less convenient. Mm -hmm. and, and I want it to be as convenient as possible. And the greatest trick I can play on you is making you think that what you're asking for is unreasonable. 
Because the last thing you want to do as a caring, nurturing, kind human being is be unreasonable. Yeah. So if I can convince you it's unreasonable, then you're, uh, you're going to go back to a state of acquiescence. I will have won that battle securely mm. because now you're, you're associating, talking about your needs, talking about your future, all things that men, are, men do all the time. They're happy to, they may not talk about their needs as much, but many men are really good at get, going out and getting their needs met. Mm. When it comes to the future, men plan well into the future about what they want, right? You talk, talk, look at any guy with a business goal or with a, you know. Fitness goal. Fitness goal. Men are quite capable of, of looking into the future and, and delaying gratification and planning and making a vision for themselves. And then a woman comes along and says, hey, you know, how, what do you think about these things and building this together or how we would discuss finances together or whatever. And he's like, whoa, enough right. with the planning. Right, right. This is a lot of future talk. Yeah. So let's talk about how to have those conversations. From your experience, whether it is about finances or I like our connection and I'm interested in a relationship, how would somebody say, how do I have this conversation without coming across as rude or aggressive? If one of your clients asks you that, how do you respond to that? You always have to go into a situation any negotiation, really, or any statement of what you want from the fundamental framework of this is about me. It's not about you. And I don't need you for it. All I'm really doing is seeing if you're the person I do it with. So now I don't, I'm not coming from an aggressive place with you. I'm just stating what. I want for me. I'm talking about the kind of relationship I would be really excited to be in. I'm talking about the values that I think are really attractive when it comes to how people approach money. All I'm really doing is seeing what your reaction to those things is. And that, could, that doesn't have to always be done in direct ways. It can be done in very indirect ways. I saw an interview with Anthony Bourdain later in his life where he communicated that, you know, he's at a stage in his life now where he doesn't want to go and do 12-course tasting menus. He said, I'm, for me, where it's at right now is a great bowl of noodles, yeah. you know, on the side of a street somewhere. If you feed me that, I'm happy. He doesn't need to tell you his relationship with money and food mm -hmm. for you to know his relationship with money and food from that little story. And so what I think we all need to get better at is rather than asking someone a question that they don't know how to begin answering, like, what's your relationship with money? Mm. Is there a way that I can communicate through story? Um, you know, I told you the, the fact, you know, the small thing about like I, when I was 26, 27, I bought a nice watch because I'd always wanted a nice watch. And these days I wouldn't go and buy that again. I'm not even wearing it now. Mm -hmm. I still own it. And I'm, and I'm wearing a, uh, what, what, you know, this is a $150 watch because it's just not where my head is at anymore. And, and if I tell you that, you already get a sense of what my priorities and my values are around money just from me saying that. And so what I think we need to do is go in telling stories, expressing values through just expressing our likes and dislikes, and then see how people respond to that. And you're going to very quickly 
learn who they are from their response to those things. Love that. I take two big lessons away that connect with me from that. First, personally, I hate playing from a position of weakness. Mm -hmm. I just hate it. I would rather play my own game and then when the time is right, play from the top. And I remember something recently happened. My publisher was talking to me about a deadline. When is this thing going to be ready? <laughs> you know what I said to them? I said, at this point in my career, I don't do deadlines. And they were like, uh, my agent got involved and all this stuff. And they're like, we needed to, I go, put whatever you want. It'll be done when it's done. To me, that is the ability to play from a position of strength. But when I started off, for example, my podcast, I knew I didn't have strength. I was a nobody. And starting the podcast, yeah, I had my own community, but I didn't know anything about podcasts. So I was like, we're just going to do it our way. When I hear your examples of, if you play your own game, you're naturally playing from a position of strength. This is who I am. This is what I like. It's, you're just playing your own game. The second thing I learned from what you said, and I love, is people are really attracted to a powerful vision. Someone who's really confident, has vivid ideas of what they love in their life. So when you say, you know, hey, I, this is what I love. In my life, I would like to travel to these continents. It gets me really excited when I'm able to do X and bring my family to Y. Gosh, whether the person agrees or not, I think a lot of people get inspired by that. Mm. So when you share that advice with your clients, what would stop someone from walking into a date and saying, you know, this is, this is who I am. Doesn't mean it has to be you, but this is who I am. Feeling like you have no leverage. Mm. What, let me put the question back on you for a moment. When you were able to say that to your publisher, like at this point in my career, I don't do deadlines. And what you're really saying there is, I've built my own life. I, I'm not about to suddenly have someone from the outside dictating to me in this way. But what gave you the, the what leverage gave you the confidence to, to feel like you could say that? I do have leverage. It's true. I have written books. They've been successful. There's a track record. And worst case, I just don't need to do this project. So that, and I would say that, you know, someone can't necessarily replicate the first couple of things you said, because that comes from, I, I'm in a bit of a power position. Mm -hmm. And I know you want this book. But the last one is free. Totally. To anyone. If, if this doesn't work out, I don't need to take it. It would be a great thing, but it's not your lifeline. And when people go into dates, there is this sense for so many people of having no leverage. Mm. So you think they have leverage, but they just don't realize it. You can create your own leverage by how you see life. One of them could be kids. I really, I know I want to have kids and I know I have a certain window to do that biologically. And that makes me feel like I have no power mm. because the next person I'm on a date with, I'm like, it has to happen and it has to happen soon. So I'm not in a power position. I have no leverage because I really want something from you. I need a person to have kids with and I therefore need you for this. There's getting to a certain age and feeling like my leverage is disappearing because I'm becoming invisible. And at a certain point in life and at a certain age, who's going to want me? Mm. So there's that leverage, there's that feeling of, I, I need to say yes to whoever comes along now because 
every day that goes by, every day I get older, I lose my looks, I lose my body. I have the, you know, the stigma of being older, mm. even psychologically in people's eyes. So I'm losing my leverage. People have the opposite feeling of gaining leverage. They mm. feel like, especially women uh, who feel like they're in a world that does not value women who get older. It only values women of a certain age. So how do you respond to that? That is, it's, it, you have to take case by case and say, let's look at these individual things and say, what relationship are you going to have with dating in general? What relationship are you going to have with another person? If it's, if it's kids, you know, I was walking down the street in New York with my publisher, Karen Rinaldi, who is an incredibly independent, fierce woman, a strong feminist, who when I said to her, you know, this is a real problem that women are giving up all their leverage when it comes to dating because they feel like they need a man to have kids. What do you suggest? That, and she said, why on earth would you rely on someone else for something that is a life goal of yours? Mm. If it's that big of a life goal, I'm not saying if it's like a nice to have and you're like, you're now going into the world of potentially single parenthood when it's not something you was, that was like a absolute must have life goal in the first place. But if it is, then her view was, why would you, why would you give that power to somebody else? You can take all that power back mm. if you say that, Okay, you know what? And my, look, my opinion on this has really evolved to a point where I, I think to myself, what's, what's the plan B that if that happens, I'm absolutely ready to make the new plan A. Mm -hmm. if, I don't, if I don't meet someone and have kids by a certain age with someone, I am going to do it myself through a surrogate. Um, or I'm going to do IVF myself. Or I'm going to look into freezing my eggs because at least that might buy me some time and some options. There might be a certain point in my life where I say, if it hasn't happened by now, I will do it myself. And mm. that's my plan B. And there's a plan C after that, if that can't happen. You know, if I, if I find out I can't have kids, what's my plan C? Am I going to adopt? Am I going to see this in a different light altogether? You always have to have, in any part of life, you have to have a plan B that you're willing to make the new plan A. And that's not a cop-out. That's not settling. Mm. That's your way of saying, I am invincible because I can be happy if this doesn't happen. I, know, I, I can take plan B and invest in it to the point where it absolutely is the new plan A and it's better than my original plan A ever would have been. Mm. I was watching the South Park uh, documentary, um, Six Days to Air where they talk about, you know, South Park has the shortest production run of any animated series. And they have six days between coming up with the concept and literally delivering it to the network, which is extraordinary for something that not only has to be storyboarded, but then animated. Yeah. And it's funny because Trey Parker and Matt Stone were talking about the fact that, you know, they have a show that we live in a cancel culture where you would think that South Park would have been canceled a thousand times by now, but they joked that they're kind of grandfathered into the status <laughs> of being able to say whatever they want. But they said they're always ready to be canceled. And they, they, Trey Parker said, you know, we love fishing. The fishing rods are in the car. If, if, Plan B. If it ever goes wrong, if we ever get canceled, if they ever say, hey guys, uh, you went too far, we're pulling the show, 
They said, the fishing rods are in the car. We're always ready to go move out to the lake and fish and be happy doing so. So in dating, the way you create leverage is that you can start with the leverage of, it doesn't need to be this person. Yeah. I'm not the luckiest person alive that I found this one attractive person who likes me. Yep. Right. There are, there are going to be others. If one person thinks you're attractive, by definition, many people are capable of finding you attractive because mm-hmm. no one's that individual and that unique that you just happen to meet in a world of now 8 billion people. You happen to meet the one that could have been attracted to you that you're also attracted to. Yeah. That is insane. There are other people. Your leverage is not only that there are other people, but also that your leverage is, I don't want anything that doesn't feel right. If I was in a relationship with someone who tramples all over me, who can't meet my needs, who doesn't care about my needs, that's worse. Mm. That's what anyone who's been in that situation for long enough ultimately always comes to the same conclusion that it's worse than going out there and trying your hand of finding something better. Even if that something better is holding on to who you are and your friendships and your own identity and not um, obliterating yourself in the name of, of staying with someone who doesn't respect you. How many of us have come to the horrifying realization that the thing on our to-do list that we've been procrastinating about for months actually only took us like 12 minutes to do? For a lot of us, it's making a doctor's appointment. And I find the same thing with money. People tell me they want to protect themselves, they want to protect their families, but they bury a list of things they need to do and then they forget about that list. Look, if you have a family, you need to get life insurance to protect them. Okay, let's do it in a matter of minutes. And the way you can do that is through this episode's sponsor, Fabric by Gerber Life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Get your personalized quote in just minutes, then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online, do it on your own schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you're not sure, if you need insurance, you can take Fabric's quick 60-second quiz to find out. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash Ramit. That's meetfabric.com slash Ramit. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash Ramit. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. I like companies that find innovative ways to save money, and then they pass those savings along to you. Take Mint Mobile, one of our sponsors. Unlike other wireless companies, they decided to ditch retail stores and all those overhead costs, and they passed those savings along to you. For a limited time, they're passing on even more savings with a new customer offer that cuts all Mint Mobile plans to $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. I had one of my coworkers test out Mint Mobile. She said the service was identical to her existing Verizon account. So if the service is the same, switching to premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month is a no-brainer. Now you'll notice on this show, I recommend to couples ways to cut their fixed costs. If you can dramatically cut your fixed costs on say wireless, that is one way that you can take that money pay off debt faster, spend it on guilt-free spending, or invest it aggressively. Go to mintmobile.com slash Ramit. That's mintmobile.com slash Ramit. 
Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash Ramit. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I think about feelings. You said it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. I'm not sure I would have known what felt right when I was younger. Hmm. Actually, I'm not even sure if I know now. I wasn't really taught how to feel. In fact, if you asked me, uh, what does that feel like to you? I would have given you, I think, blank, blank, blank. A lot of men do that. When they come on my podcast, I go, how does it feel? They go, well, I think da-da-da-da. I go, no, no, no. I said, how does it feel? It doesn't come naturally to me. I've had to train myself a lot. I've had to learn a lot. I find myself, I have to rely on crude guidelines sometimes where I go, remember, it's not about thinking, it's about feeling. And I have to try to physically tap into it. I look at my wife. It's just, she's operating on a different level. You know, it would, it's just so natural. And she can connect things that would take me 25 years to do. So when you say it doesn't feel right, can you just explain, one, how do we know if it feels right? And two, as a guy, how do you connect to your feelings? Because as I said, it did not come naturally to me. Yeah, it's a great question. It didn't come naturally. Well, you know, it came naturally to me in some ways. I've always been an emotional person Mm -hmm. and a sensitive person. You cry when I text you sometimes. I like that. Yes, I do. I do. But but not for the right reasons. <laughs> I, you know, I can cry easily. I can really? cry. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you cry on command? No, 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 no. Fuck, I wish I could do that I so much. I saw this video. It, it's around on the internet somewhere. They have a filmmaker. He puts somebody sitting down. They're on a, oddly enough, a beach. And he turns on a clock and they just try to start crying. So there's like a man and he's just like squinting, you know? Can't cry. Two minutes go by nothing. Another guy. Another guy. Fourth person is a woman. She sits down like she just shrugs. And then like seven seconds later, she starts crying. Wow. This is one of my favorite videos on the internet. So then I said to my wife, can you cry? Like on command. And she was like, I don't know if I can cry on command, but sometimes you just need a good cry. I was like, say that again? What? What? You Sometimes you need to... The last time I cried... I mean, it's probably got to be one of those movies, you know, at the end of the movie where the general is saluting and there's like rain coming down and there's like all this military brass in the back. Why, why am I crying? I don't know. Just a tear. There'd single be one tear. tear. One tear. And then yeah. I go, oh, stop it, stop it. She goes, sometimes you need a good cry. I was like, what? Yeah. But... tell me so you can't cry on command no i can't do that but i do it doesn't take a lot to make me cry okay and and the feelings the part about what does it feel right how do we know if it feels right what does that mean well i how does it know if it feels right i think that we have to try to tap into look there's a couple of things to say on this if we've not ever really known how something should feel then we have a a problem because we don't even know what feeling we're supposed to be looking for. Yes. We, don't, we don't necessarily know that anything is wrong. Sometimes for me, feeling was getting an A plus in school. <laughs> that's, right, right. Honestly, that's what feeling was, was achievement. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually quite good 
I think it's great. That's why, you know, we dominate in grades. But you miss an element of the emotional connection. Yes. And that can be hard to connect to if you're out of practice. Yes. And there are people, if you take relationships, there are people that have been in toxic relationships for so long that they have, how a relationship should feel is a distant memory or it's not even one that they relate to. Yeah. It's more habits. Like we're going to sit down and we're going to start sniping at each other and arguing. And that's what they know. Yeah. Yeah. I see that a lot. People who have grown up in a certain environment, in a certain household, that that's also all they know. If, if it can be hard to tap into, even just to believe that a different kind of feeling or a different kind of relationship is possible can be hard if you've been in a certain situation for so long. And it's why it's really important to build relationships, to build friendships, to have mentors that are different to you and who experience different things or in different kinds of relationships. Because one of the gateways out of our little prison of thought and feeling is to see that the world is bigger than our yeah. experience of it. And that other people are, oh, well, what that's you know you always have to have a curiosity that says why why is that relationship less fraught why is my friend's relationship not one of constant exhaustion right why why do they never complain about the things that we always complain yeah. about I, I you know what i think the beautiful thing about feelings is and i say this again as somebody who was not really raised to talk about my feelings but now i feel much more connected than i was before and i also see how much work i have to do when i talk to couples where one person usually the man is disconnected from his feelings and he's just like arms across not into it what i find beautiful is that even he who has not practice connecting to emotions has probably not had a good experience in the last 10 years when we go through a role play and i encourage his partner to say something really nice all the caveats aside all the all the kind of comments aside just something really genuine and what they appreciate about their partner almost always he smiles and he's connected and what that tells me is deep down we all have this ability innately to connect to our feelings. We know when something feels good. We know. We all remember a teacher we had that made us feel inspired, that made us feel supported. We all remember when maybe we saw someone who looked at us in a certain way and we felt good. But gosh, it is hard to stay in that practice. Everyone has something they connect to. And they may not be good at going there, which is why every time you notice something that makes you feel something, you should take a moment pull out your phone, pull out the notes and just write down what's happening right now that's making me feel something. Everyone has it. It's a bit like- What is it for you? Oh my- Let's I do good and bad. So many. Let's do I, emotional- I write, I write them down all the time. Anytime something makes me feel something, especially yeah. if I want to feel it again, I write it down. Really? So you just have a note to yourself. What would be an example? I call them emotional buttons. Okay. Any time- like recently I was doing my virtual retreat and there was a part of me, part of me beforehand is always like, oh my God, this is a marathon. This, you know, this is so much. And then I had a thought where I was like, oh, you know what's really cool? It's I'm on stage for like 30 hours of speaking or more or less over the course of these three days on the virtual retreat. And I really 
speaking is my craft. Mm-hmm. It's what that that is. If anything is my craft, it's speaking. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is so cool this weekend. And I thought this naturally. I didn't even try to think it. I just it was a thought that popped into my head. I went, oh, this is thirty hours logged of practice for my craft. That's amazing. And that became like, I, I felt when I, when I heard that internally, I felt something. I was like, all of a sudden I got excited That's this. about doing it. Instead of seeing it as this giant, like, oh my God, I have this huge thing coming up. And, you know, as much as I love it, it's so much work. And it's yeah. so, I went, I'm, get, I'm logging 30 hours. I'm going into the dojo this weekend yeah. and I'm logging 30 hours of training. And that became an emotional button for me that connected to me to my feelings. So it was a way of, you know, PFA, physiology, focus, action. That became, uh, in the F column, it became a way of orienting my focus in order to create a feeling that I wanted to be able to access again. And then the third one is action. Um, you know, the Rich Roll has a great phrase, which is mood follows action. Uh, and if you can, there are certain things that you know if you do them, yeah. you will reliably create a feeling and that's why i tell couples to start their rich life review with a compliment a compliment about money because it is so unnatural to be positive about money Mm. but when you start it the feelings follow and then it becomes a habit and that by the way is a really important rule in life anytime something does that for you Mm. you you have to you have to remember it. You have to write it down and keep a record of the things that when you do them, they worked and you're glad you did them because you can trust that. Yeah. What you can't trust is the you before doing it. I've left jujitsu one day and that, that's kind of become my hobby outside of work. I left it one day and I felt so good. I was walking down the street and I, I remember saying to myself, oh, I have to do this every day. Like this is, and now I don't do it every day, but I do it around three times a week. But I remember leaving thinking, I have to do this a lot because this made me feel so good. Now I can tell you, rarely do I feel like going to jujitsu before I go. Rarely. But I can't trust that guy. The guy who wakes up in the morning and has to put on his gi and drive to jujitsu, I can't trust that guy. Because he's, he will say anything to get out of having to do this thing. Even though he likes it. Yeah, but he's not even connected to the fact that he likes it right now. It's just an obligation. It's just an obligation. Every time I do it, afterwards, I lay on the floor and we, everyone lays on the mat and does a five-minute meditation, which, by the way, is orienting our focus if you look at it in the PFA model. Um, but... Every time I sit down for that, I lay down for that five minute, minute, minute meditation, I, I feel like, oh my God, I'm so glad I did this. This feels so good. I feel so good. So it's really important to recognize. It doesn't have to be something as obvious as exercise. It could be, you know, I, I remember sending a really positive note to someone in my life who had just gone through a breakup. And I sent her a note saying like, I just, want to let you know I'm here for you and I know how hard this can be. And she was so grateful. Yeah. And it made me feel so good to have sent that message. And yet so often it feels like one more chore to add to the thing, to like have to reach out and check in with someone or whatever. 
That's another one of those things where mood follows action. Showing up for someone yeah. in my life isn't necessarily something I want to do before I do it. Yeah. But after I do it, I feel so much more connected in life. Well, you, you and Audrey did that just the other day and it meant a lot to me. You know, I was doing my book talk here in LA for my journal. Two of you came out. You had to drive to get there. It meant a ton that you came out. And I remember that. I think we all remember what it feels like to be supported. A hundred percent. A friend of mine... Yeah, someone said to me, um, Jesse Itzler um, said to me, if you, if someone, if someone loses someone, yeah. if someone dies, and in their life, and you don't reach out to them, yeah. they won't easily forget yeah. that you didn't reach out. I remember about <laughs> you remember the positive things, but you also remember the negative things. And hopefully, over time, you can focus more on the positive. But just as the recipient of that support. It meant a ton. I love that. And, it, and it's, it's beautiful to hear it because you never know how much it means to someone and, 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 unless they tell you. But the gift of it is that it also made us feel connected because we're showing up for a friend and we're there and it's not our event and we're sitting in the audience like everybody else and watching you do your thing. And, and we left that event and we felt more connected. And I think that you know, Audrey, Audrey has really helped me with this because I know that since being with Audrey, I've invested more in the people in my life because I watch the way she invests in the people in her life. And I think that as men, we're not always, some men are much better at it than others. I certainly have men in my life who are much better at it than me and always have been. I fall into the category of it wasn't something that I was a natural at. It's not taught to men, right? When you look at who's doing the emotional labor of staying in touch with families and organizing holiday travel and birthday gifts, it's almost never the man in a heterosexual relationship. Right. And, and, and look, it gets really complex because you can say, uh, is that because men just naturally are not geared to do that stuff or have they been socialized that way because men have learned that they're not rewarded for how connected they are in life. They're rewarded for how much they achieve or mm. how much, how their ability to go and get things and make things and, you know, just build things and make things happen in their life and be dominant. And I, I think- The, the word a, they use is if for money is provide. Provide, I asked exactly. them, what makes a man? He, and they always say, provide. I provide and, you know, I, I take care of the, my wife or my family. Yeah. And I go, well, if you're not doing that, sometimes they get laid off or something happens. I go, who are you then? And they are stumped. Right. But not they, I shouldn't say they, we. Because if I was not providing, what would I be? And that becomes, for men especially, it often becomes an existential crisis yeah. when they lose their career. Yeah. Weirdly, guys who do go through that actually might have a shot at being happier mm. because it forces them to reassess their weapons. Because the old weapons are no longer going to work because they can't walk into a room now and feel like the richest guy in the room. It makes you turn to the things that don't cost money as a form of connection yeah. and, and valuing things differently. At that point, you actually get a shot at connecting more. This is the thing that for, is a real problem for men in general is that so many of us, we walk through life completely disconnected. Mm. And Like if I were to ask... Um, what is your three friends who you go to when times are tough? I would say 75% of the guys I talk to would be like, I don't have three. And even if they had them, 
they'd be like, yeah, but I wouldn't have that conversation. No, I would text them and send them a funny link, but yeah. it wouldn't be that. And if they asked me how I'm doing, I might say, oh, I'm going through a tough time right now, but it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they yeah. they're not having the kind of conversation of, let me call my friend tonight and sit on the phone for, for half an hour yeah. and, and tell them that I'm, I'm really struggling and I'm feeling insecure right now. And I feel yeah. like I've lost my confidence. The old ways that I used to feel good about myself are no longer working and I feel lost. They're not, they're not saying that stuff. And so there is this, there is this terrible, you know, there's, there's plenty of ways that you could argue it's better to be a man than a woman, right? When even by women's reasoning, there's plenty of ways you could say, you know, men have it easier, men have it better. But I don't think this is one of them. Well, <laughs> I think the disconnection that yeah. men feel and the loneliness that men feel and the way that they 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 kind of drift from anything that is not transactional or tactical is it, it creates a hard existence for men in their head. This example of men being emotionally disconnected, I think is a very powerful insight for men to understand how hard it is to go against how we've been raised. So for example, you know, I know a lot of guys who go, I don't understand why it's so hard to just talk about money for women. Why don't they just bring it up? Why, why are you worried about being aggressive? Just talk about it. And my wife will go, well, we're raised to not talk about money. We're not rewarded for being that assertive as you are. And a lot of guys are like, well, that's your problem. Just talk about it. But when you flip it and you say, well, why don't you guys just emotionally connect with your bros? They're like, what the hell are you talking about? I think what we need to understand is we are raised in a context. We are raised with certain cultural values rewarded. There are also many differences biologically, et cetera. And it's not enough to simply say, just do that. It's not enough. It's really hard. And I think this example of men disconnecting is accessible for us because I bet every guy I know would agree to some extent that it's hard to emotionally connect. And everything in your life, you know, for, for most people these days, I would argue everything in their life is pulling them away from that kind of emotional connection because it's trying to get you to care about shit that doesn't matter. Yeah, I have plenty of stress in my life right now and I have things that I'm trying to figure out and, uh, you know, I've, I've got a lot of different things happening at the same time and, you know, this week I've been a bit overwhelmed and... and us sitting here and having this conversation, which feels for me very connected, yeah. is a way out so of this, all of that. The solution for all men is to start a podcast. That's pretty much how men connect these days. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone's already done that. I know. Every Who human, else is left? Every human is I was the only podcast. one left and then I even started one. I was like, shit. You know, right. it, it gives me a moment of access to something deeper, which is, yeah, you and I felt like it was a great idea to do a podcast together, but now I'm in it yeah. and I'm having a conversation. I'm like, oh, this is, this feels meaningful. And this feels like I'm accessing truth. And I don't feel that when I'm scrolling through Instagram. I don't feel that when I'm worried that I'm not doing enough or I'm not getting enough or the numbers aren't enough or it is connecting to those truths. And, and we need more things in our life that make us do that. Yeah. There's this running joke that men need an excuse to get together. That's why they golf. And I find it to actually be quite true. I rarely take a guy's trip. Rarely. Yeah. And we've talked about this. We're like, we should do a guy's trip. 
but it rarely happens. And so what I have observed and my solution is, okay, of course I would love to take more guys trips. We definitely should. But at every occasion where I can get together, any excuse, I'm going to take it. Birthdays, let's do it. Uh, anniversary, uh, well, not anniversary. We're not going to all bro out on that one. But other examples where we can, mm. totally. And so sometimes I think it's just, no matter how independent or assertive you are, it's hard to fight against culture sometimes. It's difficult to get a bunch of guys together unless there's an excuse. Okay, fine. Let's find an excuse. That's been my solution. I think that's a good, I think that's a good hack. And look, you said something important, which is it's hard to fight against culture, right? But what you have to do is be brave enough to just almost empirically just go, what works for me? What makes me feel something? And then even if it's not within my culture, yeah. let me just listen to that. Totally agree. What makes me feel something? Because I can be guided by that instead of the kind of insecurity of, but my culture doesn't do that. You almost just want to forget the insecurity, just tap into what makes me feel a thing that I like feeling. Yeah. It sounds so simple, but when you pay attention to those things and then you make a note of them, you can almost trust in repeating them. You don't even need to know why. Just repeat them. Yeah. We, we, me and Audrey left your, um, your birthday and we, you know, we've felt really lucky to be invited yeah. and to be part of that weekend celebration. And this is, you asked me for what's an example of like an emotional button. Mm. I wrote down, and I'd I know this because I read it two days ago. I, w I went back, I have a whole folder of emotional buttons. And two days ago, I sat in front of my computer and I was feeling, I was feeling quite down mm. and, and overwhelmed. And I said, let me just return to my emotional buttons. Let me just return to the things that make me feel good. And under the things that make me feel really good, I put Ramit Trip. Wow. Because that, I, we, and that, by the way, that trip came at a very busy time for me and Audrey. It wasn't easy for us to get there and to do it. Yeah. Like we had to change a lot. And in changing a lot, we were like, holy shit, we've got a lot going on. And, you know, by the time we get back, are we going to be overwhelmed? It, we, we felt all of that. But we did the trip and then we left and we had met so many, we'd spent quality time with you. Yeah. We met your amazing family. We got quality time with the people you love. And we both left so filled up, mm. like really filled up. We've, we felt like connected. And I remember I had that same feeling I got after jujitsu. Yeah. I went, oh, I need to do this. Like this is important. Those I, things are so rare, aren't they? Those, those feelings you get, unless you engineer them. They don't have them. to be. They right? don't have to be. Yeah, you can engineer them. And when I, when I hear you sharing that you keep a list of emotional buttons. It, it just makes me, first of all, I realize I have that too. I bookmark my favorite inspirational articles or videos. And sometimes when I'm feeling down, I go back to that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I need to write something moving in a way that I'm not psychologically there, I connect through that. It also makes me realize that the best people I know, the people who are really masters of their craft, they just take copious notes on whatever's important to them, right? Whether it's emotional buttons, I have a story toolbox technique. I'm, I'm keeping great stories that I hear from people and I use them in other places. And so when it comes to money, what would the equivalent be? What should couples be thinking about in terms of keeping notes of what 
matters to them or what moves them? How would you apply it to money in a relationship? Oh, it's perfect for that because the one thing that doesn't get us out of bed really is a number. Yeah. And and the clinical kind of going and working hard just to add zeros to the bank account. But when you're connected, like I, look, there was a guy that once came on my retreat years ago. His father had died in a tragic accident. He worked in a, the countryside on a farm in England. He had a tool business, a power tool business. Mm. And the barn collapsed in on his father and his father died. And when he came, when this son came to my retreat, he was grieving mm. his father. But on top of grieving his father, he had um, inherited this power tools business that he had absolutely no interest in. And he felt that it would be dishonoring his father to simply f- sell it in a fire sale or just liquidate it because he felt like his father had put years into it and that it still had potential. But he also wasn't passionate about it. And I said to him, well, what would actually excite you? It's funny because now that I remember this story, it feels like something you would have said. Mm. But I said to him, what would excite you? And he said, well, I don't know. I, you know, I just, the truth is the business just takes up so much time and it requires so much of me and I would need to automate it in order to be able to actually step away from it and so on. And it was all sounding so clinical. Yeah. And I said, okay, so what, forget the, I get that you need to automate it. That's part of the strategy. But what actually excites you? And he said, well, I really love California. This was a guy living in England. I really love California and I would love to be able to like work in California in the sunshine. And I said, okay, well, what, you know, he said, but you know, and he kept feeding excuses like, but you know, that I I don't even have a visa and I couldn't do that. So I said, okay, just let's rewind for a moment. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is very personal to me because I used to dream of living in America when I was a teenager, long before I ever knew how the hell I would get here. Yeah. And I learned very early on that you have to just crowbar your way into your dreams and into Mm. the things that you want more of in your life. And I said to him, well, look, what if we just could get you two weeks in California, six months from now, where you'd be working? I said, where, where, like, describe to me where you're working. And he said, well, I guess I'm in a cafe. I'm outside. Very vivid. I love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm close to the beach. Mm -hmm. And I'm on my laptop. Mm-hmm. And this guy's living in Venice, California. I know exactly where he's picturing. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I can still do stuff for the business, but I'm doing it from my laptop mm-hmm. in this cafe. And I said, Look, why don't we book those plane tickets? Like, it's six months from now. Yeah. You don't need to automate the whole business in order to be able to do that. All you need to do is automate it to the point where it buys you two weeks. Yeah not to be where you normally are. You can still do things for the business. You said to me, you don't mind that. So we'll still do things for the business, but from a distance. I said, can we get you two weeks? And he said, I think I can do that. I think I can make two weeks happen. Mm -hmm. I said, great, let's book the flight today. And every time you're working, every time you're doing those, what are very boring things to have to automate the business, I want you to think about the cafe in California. And that's not some pipe dream of in years from now, I'll be in some cafe in California. No, no, no. In six months, 
you're going to be doing that. And everything you do right now is contributing to those two weeks. And by the way, if you can get yourself two, you can get yourself four. Mm -hmm. Once you've done the two, everything that you will have done to get yourself those two will be in service of the next time you do it, where you get yourself three or three and a half. So to me, what we did was we took a situation which was, I've inherited a company I don't want. I have to do the boring work of trying to automate it. This is not my life. I don't want it. I'm working in some dreary place that I don't want to be working in. All of which was never going to inspire him. We created an emotional button. Yeah, I love that. Out of this scenario that was very real. You created, you helped him visualize his rich life. You lowered the stakes. You don't have to move to California. Just two weeks. Exactly. You had him buy the ticket, taking action. And then you gave him a why. Now, when you go back to work on Monday, you are working towards something. It, it reminds me of a principle one of my mentors, Jay Abraham, taught me of how to turn a weakness into a strength. It seems like a simple concept, but I've found it to be very profound. And if I think about dating, sometimes I just think about how to reposition something. You know, uh, people come to me and they, they talk about their money and, I, and sometimes they have a lot of money, but they feel bad about it. And one of the questions I ask to turn a weakness into a strength is, what would it feel like if it were easy? Mm. What would it feel like if it were easy? So sometimes if they have money, they go, well, I wouldn't agonize over the price at Safeway. Okay, what else? Well, my money would be invested automatically. Okay, what else? We wouldn't fight. What? And notice they say, we wouldn't do X. I say, what would you do? We always want to focus on the affirmative behavior. If we think about the dating world, I remember a frame, uh, a way of thinking about going on dates that I didn't do it intentionally, but it just came to me. And I just remember this thing I used to tell myself. I, would, I was living in New York. I was single. And I would say, I'm going to have fun tonight. One way or another, I'm going to have fun. Mm. I hope that my date has fun. I think if I have fun, they'll have fun. And I get to go to a cool cocktail bar. That was it. I knew I was going to have a great time. And I think that attitude can be infectious. If you're going to have a good time, they're going to have a good time. I remember a Navy SEAL, he wrote this thing where he said, when other people do push-ups, they get tired. When I do push-ups, I get stronger. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? I just think, wow, what would it look like if it were easy? If I have to do 200 push-ups, I need to get my mind right because it can't be something that I go, oh, if I have to go on a hundred dates, it can't be something where I go, oh, because that's infectious. So what would it look like if it were easy? What would it look like if I were really enjoying this? That kind of reframe can be so powerful. And it's not, I think what's important about that is it's not some kind of fake reframe that you're trying to sell yourself on, but your brain is going, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know it. You one. know it if it's a fake one. The, you, the ones you just said are both, they, they resonate with me as well because they're real. Yeah, your, I, yours was, I'm going to get 30 hours of time on stage. Log it. You even had the word, log it. That's real. Now, real. to someone else, it would make no sense. They're not trying to log any hours, but to you, it is intensely personal. Which is what makes, and that, that's what makes emotional buttons so kind of, that's what makes them work is that they're very, they're very personal. Yeah. 
And it's not to say that your emotional button wouldn't work for somebody else. It might work for someone like you. But often, like if you were to read my emotional buttons folder, it would be embarrassing for me Mm. because they're very specific Mm -hmm. and they're very weirdly nuanced towards me and my association. But that, you know, that idea of when I do push-ups, I'm getting stronger that's real. That's real to that That's person. Real. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and, and even your dating one, it resonates with me because it's like, it doesn't feel like it's a, you're not selling yourself on some nonsense. It really is. If you just looked at it that way yeah. and you said, what's the worst that I get from this? I get to go out, tell some jokes. I like New York. Yeah. I like going to cool venues yeah. and checking them out. If if every day I picked a new cool venue that I didn't know before, then Bingo. I even just ticked the box of getting to know my city better. On top of that, I am going to get to inter. I'm getting a night out in the city, and I'm going to interact with someone, have a great conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Like you, that really is a win. And yeah. the fact that you took it that it doesn't surprise me that you're able to recontextualize dating through that lens because of that. You know, there's something that that Tim Ferriss says that I really liked, which is that you, if you can create multiple wins mm. for one thing, that is a, th- then it's kind of like you can't lose. If what you did there was you created multiple wins mm. to be had That's out of going on dates. I get to know my city better. I get to go to a cool cocktail bar. I, I'm just going to have, I, I, I need a break from work. So, hey, whatever happens, this is a break from work. Mm -hmm. Like, you can find multiple wins. Then, if the win that I meet someone I really like doesn't happen, you've already had four wins out of it anyway. I think the same way about writing my book right now. I'm Mm. on book two. I know that there's some part of me egoically that wants it to do really well. But I also have multiple wins that I'm getting out of this. I'm getting to be a better writer by writing a book. I am able to pour more of myself into this one than ever before. Mm-hmm. That feels like a win. I'm ingraining a ritual that's making me more disciplined. Being forced to get to know my own content better mm. by writing it because it's forcing me to go back to videos I haven't watched in a long time and reconnect with them and be like, how true is that still? Do I want to adapt it? Do I want to amend it? So my st- my speaking is on fire right now because I'm so close to the content. So it's actually making me a better speaker. All of these things are wins, regardless of whether that book goes on to be a bestseller. Exactly. Or not. The outcome is independent. Yeah. Let's take that principle of recontextualizing and let's take a couple. Let's say in your case, she comes to you and she says, we fight about money a lot. Every time we talk, it's a fight. It's never positive, And we both walk away resentful. What are some ways that you can recontextualize that relationship with money? I think that it's essential to understand why is this happening this way? Mm-hmm. Let's it's, just do a role play. I'll be that person. Okay. And you be you. And I'm saying that my partner, every time we talk about money, we fight. And I just hate it. And I don't want to talk about money, but I know that we need to because I don't feel good. When you talk about money, what creates the fight? Where in the, where in the conversation does the friction begin? Right away. Immediately, one of us will bring something up and it's about how my partner spent too much or my partner will say, why'd you do that? And I just feel this tension in my chest. Mm. So 
the tension can come out from both sides. It doesn't just come from them. Sometimes it comes from you. Usually it comes because uh, my partner will ask me a question and I just feel put on the spot. I feel like I'm being interrogated. Sometimes I feel like a child. I have to answer mm. what my partner asks. So is that because right now you feel a lack of independence when it comes to your money? That there's, you feel like a child because you feel like you have to answer for everything all the time. I feel like my partner doesn't trust me. Right. And, and I get the... I'm the recipient of that lack of trust. And when you go to that place where you don't feel trusted, which can be an infantilizing position to be in in the first place, is that I'm not trusted. Yeah. It's like, um, did you clean your room? Right. I'm an adult. But in your reaction to that is actually a beautiful opportunity to step into that adult role. But right now, your reaction to it, you're, you're actually stepping into the child's state by your reaction to it. So when you go, when they don't trust you and all of a sudden you tighten up and you start yelling, you're immediately, that teenage state that they've put you in, you're playing the role. Mm. So how do I change it? This is actually a really interesting opportunity to see what your relationship is really made of and what it's really worth. By changing the way you react to it and playing with the way you react to it, but asking yourself, what would an adult that I really value, I really respect, someone, you know, pick a, pick a woman or a man that you think is awesome, that you think would handle this very differently. Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Done. Okay. I keep trying to get my wife to watch Star Trek and she's like, I don't need to watch that Chewbacca stuff. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Right. That's a problem. That's a, we have a larger discussion. We're going to yeah, do some yeah, coaching yeah, on that yeah, after yeah. this, but that's go on. Different, I want to come back to that okay. because okay. that's important. Okay. Captain Picard, guide you're, me. So you're Captain Picard. Mm -hmm. Well, how would that person react? I mean, how would Captain, Captain Picard, Picard first, react? First of all, anyone listening, I know everything about Captain Picard. Captain Picard would cross his legs, pull down his uniform and he would be sitting with his Earl Grey tea and he would say, I would really like to understand where you come from when you talk about money with me. Mm. Captain Picard would not wait. He would not react. He wouldn't yell. He would never yell. He would be calm and he would be the one initiating the conversation because he's, he's a leader. A leader. He's a wow, leader. I never thought of that. I, I guess I just assumed that if it's about money, I have to be the one answering the questions instead of being the one initiating the conversation. So the, the, the leadership that you want to be given credit for is something you have to model in the way that you respond. And that then will teach you whether your partner is just responding to a teenage energy that you're going into or whether they're not willing to allow you to stay, or they don't think they want you in that adult role. And that's a whole different conversation. If you are coming as the leader, if you're coming from a strong place, and then they still try to infantilize you, 
that's now an opportunity for a secondary conversation, which is, hey, the way that you're speaking to me is not appropriate given the way I'm coming to you. Yeah. I'm meeting you as an equal. I'm, you know, it. We neither one of us want to be in a relationship where we don't trust or we're not trusted. So how do we get to a place where there's real trust? Which is a straight up Picard line. That's right. I love this. So it's, but, the, 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 but the point is that if you, if you were able to reframe this situation with your partner as, oh, this is actually a, like this, you know, the Marcus Aurelius phrase, the obstacle is the way. This is a chance to make this obstacle the catalyst for growth in your relationship and to actually use it and to become a social experimenter in your own relationship. What happens if I react in a new way that my partner isn't used to? Yeah. What happens if I speak from a different place? What happens if I'm more curious? What happens if I lead instead of just react? That's a chance for you to grow. It's a chance for you to step into the very role that you're accusing someone of robbing you of. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually a chance to see whether your partner really can respect you. Because right now, you may not be giving them the kind of behavior that is creating that respect. But if you give them the behavior that creates that respect in the dynamic, and they still try to, you know, put you down in certain ways or control you in certain ways that you're not, that, you know, you shouldn't put up with. Well, now you have a bigger conversation to have in your relationship, but that's, now you're going to see what your relationship is really made of. And that's a huge, huge, that's an important thing to know. I love the, the questioning and the curiosity you brought to that in that role play. How are you reacting? What does it feel like? Feels, does it feel infantilizing? And it allowed me, the person in that example, to really connect with it. And also to realize I play a part in that as well. I play a part in the way I'm reacting. And for you then to connect with me and say, who would you like to be? Sometimes it's as simple as just asking, who do you want to be? What is your rich life? Where do you want to go? What would you like your dynamic to be? I think sometimes we get so caught up in what we don't want to do that we forget about what we do want to do. Mm. So that was a very powerful reframe. Thank you. Thank you. I had a little phase in my life where because I had a little bit of money in my pocket, I was like, I always wanted to do the best version of everything. Yeah, yeah. Like it was always about, you know, what's, even if it was like kind of tough to do financially, mm. I was like, no, 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 but I, I don't want to go unless I do this version. Yeah. And then I would see, you know, certain people that I knew and loved and they were having so much fun doing their version of it, which wasn't even, it wasn't anywhere near my version of yeah. it. And they were having so much fun and they were so connected. And, and it was a real lesson for me because mm. I was just like, it's not that I don't think it's ever worth doing the best version of things. You and I both, we're both the same way in that yeah. we really, we really value when people do things at an exceptional level. Yeah. You and I think very similarly in that way. But I'm always careful these days not to confuse that with knowing that I can also have a, yeah. an amazing time doing a different version of it. And, you know, I, this is one of the things I love about my partner, Audrey, is that we, I can say, let's go do this thing. And she'll be like, 
yeah, but that, you know, like that's so much we could, you know, why don't we just go and do this? It'll be so much fun. And she presents, it's like, she almost presents me with an option. Just it, not that I need it anymore, but in case there's some part of me that thinks that I need to do this over the top mm. thing, she's like, no, 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 but we can have all of that by doing this thing. Yeah. And connecting with the purpose. And if you want to do it in this level, great. But but it's this not is, that's yeah, not but we can still achieve all of these things without that. And yeah. and I may still, and there are plenty of occasions where I still to her rolling of the eyes go, now nah, we're gonna I, do I it. I want like the best this. one. I, I feel- <laughs> I'm like, we're gonna do this crazy thing. And she rolls her eyes and we're like, she's like, okay, fine. Yeah. But, but but that's she, also a beauty in and of itself, right? Because that is what you are looking for. Yes, and, and what she doesn't do is go, well, I think that's a really bad use of like, she, you know, she yeah. doesn't then fight me on that yeah. because she's like, oh, I've, I get it. He va- In this moment, mm-hmm. for the right reasons, he values doing this thing. See, to be able to have conversations like that, especially over the course of a lifetime with questions like, what car should we buy? Where should we live? What kind of housing? Private school or public school for children? Pay for their college, travel, et cetera. There's so many big questions. You have to be pretty savvy. You can wing it. You can talk about how you feel, and that's okay. But from my perspective, talking about a rich life, you also have to be pretty skilled with your numbers because these are big questions. You can't just buy a house on feelings. It's got to be, hey, do we know our ratios? Do we have our conscious spending plan? And so to be able to master all of these things, it's almost like a chef. It's not enough to know how to cut a vegetable. That's great. You need that. But you also need to know the heat on the stove and how are we timing this and do we have the right plates? It's all, it's this beautiful ballet of everything coming together. And when you finally do it, you both come up with a vision that is your perfect dish made for the two of you. And you look at all the work that went into cooking that dish, all the skills necessary, the tools you brought, and you look at it. And Maybe it doesn't look the most appealing to somebody on the outside, but it's perfect for the two of you. Yeah, and that's what I've always loved about what you teach is that it's very, very focused in the same way that I I talk about emotional buttons as being very personal. You talk about a rich life as being a very, very personal, intimate experience. And knowing as a couple what's, you know, what does that mean to you? It can be completely different to what it means to anyone else. I mean, like at at its core for me, I know I can live with a downsize in where I live. Mm-hmm. I know that if I had to, I could like strip most things back. Yeah. I Wait, what, but you, what could you not strip back? That expensive watch? No, I don't care. I could sell all the watch. I, I, like, I have two nice up? watches. I could sell them tomorrow. I don't okay. wouldn't care that much. I I think the freedom to eat what I want to eat. Oh, that's a good one. I food is so important to me. I love it so that's much. That's a really good one. So, I What about your gym? I'd be very sad if I couldn't eat delicious food. The gym, yes, but but I'd be happy to just do a version of it that was free. Like okay. I, I wouldn't need to, you know, I could do I could I could work out my own circuit and do it that way, so I could give up that if I if I had to. I can't. I'm trying to think of what I would not be willing to give up. I, if I didn't have the freedom to travel, mm. that would that would bother me. Like if you had to really make compromises on when to go or how often to go somewhere. Well, 
you know, there's always the excitement. I love, I love travel and I love food. And I love the idea that, you know, let's go to New Orleans this weekend. And just, even if it's for two days, let's just go see a new city. You know, let's go and experience the food in Charleston. Let's go and, you know, like I, that I live for that. That's so, that's, that's my idea of fun. Mm. So I would want to still be able to do that. But, but materially, I've accumulated over time when I really strip it back. I don't need, I actually don't need that much. I really don't. It's kind of, um, illuminating to realize that very freeing we moved to new york for a couple of months just to live there and we took a couple of suitcases and i was like this is a simple life i had my little laptop and my little rice and so freeing it feels, I always resonated with that. Did you see up in the air? With yeah, cleaning? I always yeah, resonated yeah, yeah, with that yeah. backpack thing. Like I know, just putting down the the backpack. But, and, but it is interesting though. I have a a wealthy friend of mine. She's older, and she has a mansion in Malibu. I've seen pictures of it. It's one of those houses that has its own name, so you know it's like really big. <laughs> and she lives in a small apartment now. She also has that house. They go there sometimes, but she lives in a small apartment. I said, why do you live in an apartment? She goes, it's a lot to take care of that place. And I like this simple life. And I go, yeah, I think at some point I would like a a bigger place. And she said, you want that now until you have it. And then you realize you might not need it. So the lesson I learned was sometimes you have to go through the process of spending on something only to realize I didn't really need it. Yeah, I think it's almost, I don't know, because as you were saying that, I, was th- I, I, had, I have the same instinct. I, the word that occurs so much in my life these days is simplification. Totally. Same. Just want a simple life. You have to fight for it though. We talk about it with personal finances. You have to fight for simplicity. Just a few credit cards just a few accounts, just a few line items you track Mm. because otherwise you become, you you follow, uh, the tail wags the dog and you wake up and one day your entire calendar is filled of stuff you didn't make decisions about five years ago. Yeah, Fight for simplicity. But then the downside of that is that people go, well, you're just an old dude who's not getting rich off crypto. (laughs) Like literally people in this group I'm in, they have this asset allocation. It's all fucked up. I go, what are you talking about? You own 30 different asset classes? And they look at me, they go, wait, wait a second. You ha- your asset allocation is basically 90-10. What are you talking about? You only own this diversified low-cost portfolio? I go, yeah. And we both look at each other like we're each from a different planet. Mm. But in my opinion, I'm right. And to avoid the mimetic trap, yeah, you know, that that you do just do it or want it because someone else wants it it's you know there's there's very easy traps to fall into i mean me and me and audrey went to hawaii for the first time this year Mm -hmm. and we just were instantly in love and we didn't ever want to leave and your brain goes to some oh wouldn't it be amazing one day to uh, you know have a imagine having a place here and and you know sometimes i hear you in my head and it's just like if you want to go to Hawaii, just go, rent a place, and then give the keys back. Yeah, it's the best. And leave. But it's so unglamorous. For whatever reason, we just love, I got to own this place. Yeah, oh, but so much of it is ego, it's right? It's so and, ego. And, 
and my ego is, well, first of all, I'm like, financially speaking, that actually doesn't make any sense. But secondly, I love the simplicity of, I get to pick my favorite place. I get to pick an absolutely amazing property or hotel or villa. I go in, everything is ready. I've got my perfect food in the fridge. My clothes are unpacked for me. Yeah, Love the convenience. And then when I leave, goodbye. Here's your keys. And by the way, you also now don't feel like you are a prisoner to Hawaii. Exactly. Where if next time, you, if a year from now, you fall in love with somewhere else, you go, well, we really have to justify this place we have in Hawaii by keeping going there, even though you now have another place that you really want to go to. So it, it, it's so it's, it's freedom. It, you're, 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 it's freedom. It's, it's not in making yourself encumbered yeah. all the time by these things. And I've learned some hard lessons in that department, but it's... I don't know. Simplification for me feels really good. Maybe there'll be a time in my life where I want to expand again. I don't know. But for me right now, I love the idea of, of less. You call me when you want to spend the next two, four, five million dollars. You know I have some <laughs> suggestions. Okay, I got a couple more scenarios for you. I just discovered that my partner has $75,000 in debt and I'm worried how that's going to affect our lifestyle. How do I have that conversation? I think the first conversation you have to have is with yourself. You have to start by saying, what are my reasons for being with this person? My reason for being with this person wasn't that they had no debt. (laughs) My reason for being with this person, even when I didn't realize they had this debt, was for any number of qualities that they have that I think are really special. And I think it's important to start there because otherwise you just start focusing on the debt and going, I don't want to be with someone with this much debt. But you have to start by going, no, why am I here? Mm. If it's just an average relationship and I'm like, well, I was just here because I had nothing better to do. But you know, now that I've realized there's this whole debt inconvenience, what's the point? Mm-hmm. If you're there because you go, oh no, there is something truly special about this human being. And there's something I really value about this person, or there are many things I really value about this person, then you have to keep that firmly in your mind because everyone's going to come with something. No one, everyone's got something. Some people's baggage is debt. Other people, they have a kid already and, and you have to deal with those circumstances. Some people are paying 1.25% to Primerica, getting fucking ripped off. Don't do that. What wasn't an example I was going to use, but but yeah, that's why we make a great team. Um, you know, someone someone may come with an illness, or someone. There's always going to be something. No one comes perfect. Yeah, and you have to then go. Okay, well, what is if if I really value them, and I want this person in my life, then this is their thing. Mm. Okay, this is their thing. Let me remove money from it for a moment. Most people have something. This is a thing that they have. Okay. So now that I've established I really value them and they're important to me, um, what does this actually mean? And, and what am I most afraid of here? And then you start looking into that. Am I afraid that this debt that they have is a sign of a much deeper recklessness? Right. And have I seen evidence of that? And have I seen evidence of that outside of this debt? And can I voice that to them in a way that 
communicates with them and shows them that, hey, look, the debt we will figure out. And over time, if you say you have a plan to pay it off and I, you know, you've shown me that plan and I feel confident that you have it in hand, um, the thing that still concerns me is that there's a, there were certain decisions made along the way that seemed to reflect different values than the values I have. And now that we're a team, whatever is behind that decision-making is now a part of my world too. And if they then are able to, to talk to you in a way that you feel confident, oh, okay, I'm able to contextualize this. I'm able to see who you were then versus who you are now. I'm able to see that this is a historic thing, but it's not a present day thing, but it's a historic thing you have to solve. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing than, you know, worrying that this is now a trait. This isn't a circumstance that's entered your life. It's a trait that's entered your yeah, life. Yeah. And that that trait now is going to ruin my life because all of this recklessness, that's what's behind a lot of fears like this. Yeah, it's right? going to be with us forever. It's going to be, yeah, you're, you're going to be with me forever. Yeah. And you, whatever recklessness created this, you're bringing into my world now. That's a fear we have. It's almost like when you, you've got to really explore what's behind what I feel about this thing. Yeah. Am I worried this person's never going to pay off this 75 grand and that it's going to become my responsibility? If so, let's talk about that. Or am I worried at all? Is what's really behind this contempt? Mm. Like I see this 70 grand debt and- I can't and believe that you're the kind of person who would do right. that. And I would, I've, I've been, had a completely different, different level of discipline than that financially in my life. And behind what I'm really feeling is contempt. Mm. I have contempt for that quality in you that has led you to this place. Okay, wait, hold on. Before we go on, what would you have contempt about in a partner? In that circumstance? No, just in you. Oh, like me you. personally? Like I would have contempt if I met someone who was paying 1.5% to a financial <laughs> advisor. I'm not going to lie. I'd break up with them on the spot. I told my wife that last night. If I ever find out you're paying 1.5%, <laughs> hey, we're gonna have a real difficult conversation. And she was like, okay, I know I would never do that. <laughs> Fuck, I love you. What would, what would it be for you? Contempt for? I think, oh God. I think it would be if your partner just wouldn't talk about something that was bothering them and at all. And you tried everything you could and they were just like, nope. Because for me, the 1.5%, even though it's sort of a joke, it's not really a joke. It reflects on my ability to talk to them about money and a rich life. And it's just a fundamental values difference. Mm. You like to dig in and communicate. You, you, you see that as a way to do it. If they just were like, nope, don't want to talk about this. Maybe it would be for me if someone was really just, just all about themselves. What does that mean? If they, if, if they had a, that kind of a heavy streak of, narcissism mm. in them where it was there was a, just a, a lack of authenticity and a lack of empathy for other people or for me so example for, would be like i want to go here i don't care that you don't want to go i want to go and if yeah. you don't go i'm going to be mad at you yeah yeah and that and and you know if someone on top of that is kind of kind of gaslights your needs by reducing them to not like you're being unreasonable or yeah. makes you feel like you're having those needs is a problem. Yeah. 
um, and that you're the one being too, you know, you're being too difficult or you're being too needy or you're expecting too much, that maybe could send me that's a good towards one. that feeling. That's a, that's a pretty good one. I still think that mine might be... The one point. Yeah, 1.5. Yeah. Just Why? Well, I, I don't that. even know what you mean by that. That's and okay. I now have contempt for it. <laughs> Spread the word, everybody. Yeah. If if they're paying anything above 0.45%, we got a real problem. It's, I love the idea that this is sort of secretly why you got me on the podcast. Just to... To make... Just to like feel me out on this issue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, the, yeah. This is the 100%. Trojan horse. Okay, you know, you know what it is? I watched uh, Jerry Seinfeld, that coffee in cars or whatever. And somebody said to him, could you ever be friends with somebody who you didn't think was funny. Yep. And he thought about it for a second and he goes, no. Yeah, no, he's a real, he, a real I love fascist that. when it comes to comedy. I agree. And then I thought to myself, could I ever be friends with someone who has digital programs that they sell, which I think are shit? <laughs> My answer is no. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth because I take it personally. I spend a ton of time and money with my team building these things. We take a lot of pride. My name is on it. And for someone to come up with some bullshit and sell it on TikTok, you know, and just be like, oh yeah, buy my thing, $19.99, blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, I can't be your friend. Right. Do you think that's too petty? No, I think that's all right. I will say that I've got sort of, you know, friends who believe in things that I, I sort of, some part of me, Flat Earth? What? Well, flat. No, I don't have any flat Earth okay. friends. <laughs> okay, politics. Sort of, if you know, someone's. You know, when someone sort of says like, "I'm a witch." No, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, when someone's like, sort of believes they have psychic abilities, or they, oh, that's half the people in LA. Oh, is it a Mercury? Some bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And then you have to pretend that it's real. You you know, you have to sort of just nod along and just wait for the conversation. I just, I, I'm inspired by my nieces and nephews. They're like 10 years old. When you ask a kid something that they don't understand or like, they this is what they do. They go like this. And then they just get up and leave. They literally just walk away. And I go, these kids know something that we don't. If you don't like it, you just leave. So some annoying person wearing those wide brim hats talking about Mercury and all this nonsense and stuff. And, oh yeah, it's because you're a Scorpio. And what I deeply, deeply want to do mm. is just get up and leave. But instead what I do is, oh yeah, it's really interesting. So what are you watching on TV these days? But you know, you just have to fall in love with the 80%. What? Because like some people are 80% smart. Oh, that's good. And, and good. Fuck, you're always so positive. No, but you know I need I mean? this. There, there's people that I listen to. Do you, have you ever been listening to a speaker? Just and, tell me who you're talking about so we can get specific here. And, who's this person who's 20% stupid? You know, like you're two hours in and they're saying really insightful things and you're just like, well, this person's on fire. Like it's just, every time they speak, you're just like, this is great stuff. And then all of a sudden they like drop in something that- Yeah, yeah, go, they say- they say on. Yeah, they say some that? NIMBY bullshit or something and I go- Something that you, you realize all of a sudden that there is some area of what they believe where you are planets apart. Yeah. And it's tempting at that point to go, oh, I just can't deal. I can't deal with this person. I want to write them off. Wait, what if I do that? Well, you do do that. Yes. Is there a problem? <laughs> Wait, is this well, a problem? Try, it sounds good to here's me. Here's the problem I have with it. 
You want to know? Yes. It's actually not that easy to find people who don't believe some kind of wacky shit. Oh, fuck. You might be right. So the problem is, if you don't find a way to love the 80% of them and sort of just make your peace with the 20%, then you end up hating 80% of people. <laughs> Wait, I'm trying to think. This is getting very deep right now. It's supposed to be me asking you questions. You, at best, can have like 10 friends. Yeah. Because the rest of the world believes something insane. I think you might be right. I think you've made me have a new lens on the world. And I don't know if I like myself after right. this conversation. Well, I'm certainly going to make you less entertaining. <laughs> if I, yeah. if Someone's going to be way. saying some bullshit and normally I would just verbally eviscerate I know, them. Now you're going to be like, all Oh, that's really interesting. Tell me the 80%. I really love this. Like, <laughs> fuck. You ruined my entire career. I miss the old Ramit. I miss the old Ramit that would tear people apart. Uh, I don't want it to go away. But what am I supposed to be more compassionate? No, just but I got just married. Hang out with me more because that's like a yin yang scenario. I know we complete each other. Well, let me just tell you what I loved about our conversation. We, I talk to couples. They're typically married or they've been married a long time. The thing that I heard over and over today is you reminding me to connect what I'm doing to the North Star. So if I'm trying to um, think about why I love somebody, connect it back to this. It's not about their debt. It's about why did I find this person attractive in the first place? Mm -hmm. If I am having a conflict about money, we can talk about the money, but why am I feeling this way? Do I feel infantilized? Why? What do I want myself to feel like? And that is something that comes much more naturally to you. I know you work at it, but I love hearing your perspective on how to talk about money because deep down, the rich life is not just about money. It's about how we talk to each other and how we create these experiences. And I can think of nothing more powerful than remembering what is the rich life and then let's use money and love to live it. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. It's a, it's a pleasure. I love our conversations. All right. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was a special one for me. I think Matt and I both had a blast. Of course, I recorded another episode on his podcast called Love Life with Matthew Hussey. Go check it out. You can also find him on Instagram at the Matthew Hussey and check out his programs and his videos at howtogettheguy.com. I will see you back next week. Thanks for listening to I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I'm Ramit Sethi. Please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't read I Will Teach You To Be Rich, my book, pick up a copy. You can get it at any bookstore or any library, and it will show you the specific tactics for how to build the I Will Teach You To Be Rich system into your personal finances.